Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hi, everyone. I'm Trey Strelko from the Sons of UCF, joined by Eric Lopez of the Black and Gold Banneret. Welcome to Around the Kingdom. Eric, good to see you again. Great to see you, Trace. But are you sure you want to do this show and have the audience watch it? Couldn't we just close it down to the audience and just keep it to ourselves? And then we can give them a recap later. No? <laughs> Is that foreshadowing? That may be foreshadowing on our first topic. Before we get into that, let's welcome the third member of this team, Adam Eaton from the Sons of UCF. Keeps the time, keeps us on our toes. Adam, hello. Hey, guys. Is this the show where you predict UCF will go 13-0 this season, or is that another show? Uh, that may be next week's show, and that okay. will never be anything that Eric and I say. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, check, I'll check back on yeah, that. That, uh, that will not be something that we say. Uh, we'll check back in with you, Adam, in a bit. Uh, you, uh, you gave a little preview of our first topic, uh, Elo. We're talking UCF preseason camp as that shift goes from uh, preseason to Kent State week. Uh, media availability on Tuesday, 15 minutes of stretching and uh, handoffs and uh, no uh, media availability from head coach Gus Malzahn following the scrimmage on Saturday. And that begs the question, uh, what stands out to you about what's going on with preseason camp and should practices be more open, not only to the media, but maybe the public? I definitely think it should be open to the public. How is it, Trace? You and I were at a volleyball scrimmage that was open to the public on Saturday night at the same time as the football scrimmage that was not open to the public. The National Football League, I think you've heard of that league, pretty popular. Uh, once, you know, every game's decided by one score, it seems like. They have no problems doing open practice. Heck, they get two teams together, like the, the Jets in Carolina do a joint practice together. Other NFL teams do joint practice in front of an audience. Yet, Trace, college football everywhere does not open any practice or any scrimmages. Or if it is, it's very limited. And I'm just baffled by that. I am baffled by that, Trace. It's uh, it's just, to me, head-scratching that we've allowed college football across the country to, to manipulate what access, basically. Remember those days with George O'Leary when you could bring your yeah. own lawn chair? <laughs> they didn't want you to have cameras out or phones, but you could watch practice. I don't know. This is a big college football thing, but more open in other parts of the state, right? Florida, Florida State with more media access and availability. It's really a head coach Gus Malzahn thing. He just wants to limit the access. Uh, the other part of this, not only was he not available following the scrimmage on Saturday, 
but the Tuesday availability with offensive coordinator Darren Hinshaw was canceled. And then media was told there will be no Thursday availability with Addison Williams. So no media availabilities for this week. Uh, next week, of course, is Kent State week, and perhaps we'll have uh, Coach Malzahn to preview that. Got to look ahead to Kent State, you know. You got, you got to look ahead on to Kent State's week one. Got to go one and oh. Maybe that's the locked-in focus. You mentioned the media access. You know, Florida State <laughs> allows the media to watch practice, but they can't report on it publicly. How do you feel about that? Is that something you would be comfortable doing, being at a practice but not really commenting publicly what you see at practice, but yet you get that view? What, what do you think of that approach that Mike Norvell has had at Florida State? You think that would be something that could work? I would prefer that to the experience now. Uh, I could live with that. And, you know, the challenge for me, obviously, as an alum and someone who has been involved in media is that tug of war, right? As uh, as a media person uh, representing the Sons of UCF, I want to know something. I want the information. I want to break the news. I want to get the quotes, ask the questions. But as an alum, as a fan, that part of me kind of likes what Gus does, keeps everybody out. So tug of war, right? <gasps> I just, well, you can always find out what's going on anyway from a donor that's posting on message boards anyway. So, you know, leave it. Uh, whether that will impact the success of UCF on the field remains to be seen. As Trace, you mentioned, UCF will open the season a week from this Thursday, coming up against Kent State at home. Lots of opinions on how this season will turn out, uh, Trace. So, the question here I have for you is UCF football is a success if blank, fill in the blank. Several opportunities for fill in the blank here. The first one that I will share with you, we can bounce back and forth, is if John Rice Plumley makes that jump that everybody has been talking about. You have heard that the difference between what he was last season and this season is night and day. We've seen some handoffs. But we haven't seen much in the way of throwing, uh, and uh, players have been positive, but you know, that's him playing against his own teammates. Let's see what happens. Maybe you don't use Kent State as the barometer, maybe not even the road game at Boise State or that home game against Villanova, but when the heart of Big 12 play begins, then let's see. If he makes the jump, then this will be a successful season for UCF. I will say and uh, agree with you, but I'll go in a different direction. UCF football is a success if they go win seven or more games, go to a bowl game in Orlando. If Trace Trelko is eating some Pop-Tarts, at the uh, Camping World Stadium for UCF bowl game, this football is a this success in 2023. I think that's the goal. I don't think they can go any lower than that. I think from an on-the-field standpoint, UCF football is a success if the defense, you know, makes plays. Because that's going to be a key in conference. The big, you know, hoopla is nobody can play defense. Can this UCF defensive line put pressure on teams and have great success? If they do, I think UCF football will have success. Well, I know people like UCF Mike of the Sons of UCF want to twist a little bit the wording here in which I have said, others have said, make it a bowl, but that means getting to six and six. It doesn't mean I'm satisfied with six and six, but if the team is six and six and is qualified for a bowl, then I think that that will be a barometer of success. Key to that, you mentioned as one of your successes is going to a bowl game, is protecting the home turf. Uh, you know, under Gus Malzahn and traditionally the team, there will be some struggles on the road. They must protect home. They've got the home opener with Kent State. They've got Villanova. And then it's an interesting slate, right? Baylor, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Houston. You see wins on that, but you also see moments where they could drop some games, which makes that getting to six or seven wins harder if they struggle on the road. So for me, another key to success is 
serving well at home. If they do that, then I think this will be a successful season. Well, with the crowds, the way it's going to be, you're right. They need to be successful at home. And then break serve. We'll use the tennis term. Break serve on the road. I think the Boise State game, if you win the Boise State game, I think this season will be a will be headed towards a successful year. I don't know if you agree with me on this. If you lose the Boise State game, I feel like you're playing catch-up the rest of the way because you're going to have to steal an extra road game probably in conference. I think there are winnable games on the road for this team, but they got to prove it. They got to prove it. They haven't proven it. We'll see what happens there. But if they can win that Boise game, that'll set the tone, I think, for a successful year. Another barometer for me of success is new stars emerging. You know, let's get those three, four stars on paper and let's see what they do on the field. Uh, you know, there are a lot of veterans returning on this team, which also favors them uh, in these games. But who's the future? And, you know, with the transfer portal and satisfying guys, you don't want to lose guys. You got to give guys playing time. Which guys step up, make an impact? Maybe it's a second-year guy. Maybe it's a freshman, but certainly guys in the transfer portal. Not everybody's going to pan out, but new guys emerging, new stars, I think will be a key to success uh, for the coming season. So looks like we have identified some successes, uh, Elo. Of course, there is a flip side to that. Uh, 2023 is a nightmare. 2023 is a nightmare if – Fill in the blank. Oh, man. Trace, you with the negative questions on this show. My goodness. Going right to the negative. Well, the season's a nightmare if they don't make a bowl game, honestly, right? Like, if if you don't make a bowl, that means you've gone five and seven or worse, which means they didn't have the success at home that you're talking about, and they probably struggled on the road. I think contributing factors to that, injuries. If this team gets hit with injuries, and that's the big question, Trace. You're going to the Big 12 you, have, you supposedly have all this depth, but do, do, there's the physicality of playing in a conference like this every week with the travel. Does it take its toll on physicality? If we're having a long list of injuries or like if you're pointing out on social media, if I'm seeing you on social media reporting and other UCF media people saying, well, so-and-so is out. I don't see this person uh, dressed out there in the warm-ups and everything, then it's going to be a nightmare of a season. I think health is a fact. Yeah, I agree with you on that. The flip side of my, it's going to be a success if JRP makes that jump. JRP centered again, if he doesn't make that jump, if he turns the ball over and keying in what you just said about injuries, if he gets hurt. Now, That's last year he got hurt. Mikey Keene came in and subbed. We don't know what we're getting with Timmy McLean, though no official number two quarterback has been announced. No depth chart announced yet. Uh, but going in thinking that it's going to be Timmy McClain. We don't know if he's going to be able to step in. And you have to ask yourself, seeing what you saw from JRP last season, can he go that full campaign, those 12 games, without an injury? So for me, a challenge in this season is, one, if he gets hurt, and then that puts that backup quarterback uh, in the spotlight. But more than that, healthy, if he doesn't adjust and doesn't make that leap, uh, under first-year offensive coordinator Darren Henshaw and his new system, it could be a long season. I think it'll be a long season if the defensive line does not put pressure on quarterbacks and don't get hurries and sacks. You know, for all the hype they've gotten, I think you brought this up on a previous episode, the sack totals were not great last year. I think it's imperative to them that be successful with the young secondary, help them out. Otherwise, in this Big 12 where there's a lot of offense, top to bottom that's the difference you know in the american you had some good offenses at the top but not at the bottom here everybody's got playmakers 
If the defensive line doesn't get pressure, then it could be a nightmare season for the secondary, a young secondary, and they might be in a tough situation to succeed and might give up a lot of points. And I'm not sure, Trace, if you're UCF, that you want to get into shootouts on a weekly basis in the Big 12. I think you'd rather control your tempo and pace, and part of that is have a strong defense, which has carried them to championships in previous conferences. You know, it's been a point of emphasis. Coach Malzahn, when he is available to the media, has mentioned that they've been practicing late game situations. Point out, Oklahoma, I believe, was 0-5 in games decided by seven points or less. How does UCF fare in those games? If they are in a similar position of 0-5, could be a difficult and long season if they're losing a lot of games late. So we'll see if all that practice during preseason camp has paid off. How they fare, and you got to expect, right? You've mentioned shootouts, but a shootout could be 34 31. Uh, you know, does it come down to a field goal? You talked about uh, special teams a couple of weeks ago on Around the Kingdom and, and your concerns about whether it's as strong as it's billed. How does UCF fare in those uh, games decided by a few points and those games in the fourth quarter if they're on a lot of those losing ends? Could be a long season. Well, and, and two quick points to that. Special teams, right? You know, I remember the Navy game where you get a block punt, et cetera, things like that. That could cost you in short games. Also, the trenches. Is this – both sides of the ball, are they getting pushed around? You know, Navy pushed them around. If that, if you see that early in the year, you know, if let's say they get pushed around by Boise State or Baylor early on, it could be a very – for this team. And drop in the comments uh, on YouTube and in social media. What do you think? Uh, if it's going to be a great season, what does that mean beyond what we just said? And if it's a difficult season. Uh, by the way, can I add one more, Elo? Uh, sure. you, you, you lose to Villanova and it's going to feel like Furman oh, in 2015. Come on. What are we doing? I'm not putting it into the uh, into What are you the doing? Right, then you, just... hear the boom. you heard the boom. We're going past the boom. No wonder okay. Gus doesn't want to talk to you. You're, you're negative. <laughs> All right. Let's move on here. Positive. Positive. One of the things we look forward to this season is seeing new faces on this roster. And a new year brings of optimism. Trace, my question to you is, which UCF football players are you the most looking forward to seeing play this year? Well, not necessarily a new guy. I like watching R.J. Harvey run the ball. So for me, I want to see what he does this season. Third leading rusher on this team a year ago, uh, nearly 800 yards. Could he be a 1,000-yard guy? And uh, I like watching him play. So uh, R.J. Harvey, for me, is definitely one. I like the R.J. Harvey. You stole that uh, my thunder on that one. So I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go with a, a group, the secondary. We have such rich history in the secondary. We've talked about the, how young it is and some of the questions there. Who's the next guy that steps up there? Who's the next Richie Grant? Is there a Richie Grant on this uh, in that secondary? Or... You know, who is, do we have a Mike Hughes that develops? That's the thing that I'm excited about. It seems like every year, Trace, there is a defensive back, whether it's a safety or corner that steps up. And next thing you know, like, wow, this guy's really good. And, you know, it could have some pro aspirations. That's the part that I always look forward to from a UCF defense every year with the great history that they've had. Going back to Atari Bigby, Asante Samuel, et cetera. Uh, I'm intrigued to see this young secondary. I know people are concerned about it. But I feel like it, it, they will be fine if they have help from the front. And I think somebody will establish themselves. And I'm cur intrigued to see who that is. 
I'll uh, mention a defensive player as well. And I'm always curious during camp, you hear names of guys over and over again, and then sometimes they disappear when the, the season starts. And some guys you don't hear anything about, you know, maybe some transfers on this team where you really haven't heard much about, but did they emerge? A guy we've heard a lot about from a lot of different people is uh, defensive tackle Lee Hunter. Uh, so he is someone I'm interested in seeing whether he's made a jump in his second season with the Knights. By the way, he's listed on the roster 6'4", 320 pounds. Uh, players, coaches say he's playing lights out. Uh, he talked to the media a couple weeks back, and, and, and it seems like a light bulb has gone off for him and a different approach to practice uh, and the game, and he's got goals to, to be a real force in the 2023 season. So I'm curious to see whether the talk we've heard during preseason camp materializes once the season gets underway. Well, with that physique, right, those are the type of guys you need to compete at this level moving forward. So you hope that works out and, and translates uh, from that standpoint. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing that, uh, hopefully. Uh, and I'm also interested to see, you mentioned R.J. Harvey. You know, how are the rest of the running backs going to be used? You know, there, there's only one football. I, You know, how are the running backs going to get? There's a lot of guys. There's Johnny Richardson, for example. How is he going to be? I'm curious to see what his role is. Is he more of a receiving threat? Does he get his opportunities? That's a guy I'm also looking forward to seeing uh, this upcoming season. So I think there's a lot of intrigue here, Trace. A lot of intrigue, uh, which is probably why they why the staff don't want to talk to you, Trace, because they don't want to tell you. <laughs> I don't think it was specifically me, Elo. Nope, not you? You're sure? Okay. Right. Uh, so just to be clear, yeah. not specifically me. <laughs> All right, breaking the action. Time to bring back Adam for this week's Silly game, Adam. Greetings, gentlemen. All right, this week's game is called The Streak Has to End Sometime. I'm going to give you a streak of something that has gone on. You tell me if this is the season that streak comes to an end. Elo, I'll start with you. Here's the streak. UCF has not had a 1,000-yard receiver in a season since 2020 with Marlon Williams. Is this the season that streak comes to an end? Does UCF get a 1,000-yard receiver? That's a great question, Adam. Uh, no, I'm going to say no. I think the ball gets spread out. Uh, there'll be a lot of equal distribution. I just don't think this is a team that's going to air it out enough consistently where you have that one guy like a Marlon Williams dominate the ball and have a 1,000 yards. I think there's enough uh, weapons there to kind of balance it out uh, offensively. So I'm going to say no. Trace, a 1,000-yard receiver on this roster? I know everybody wants Elo and I to fight and disagree for a half an hour, but I am in agreement. I don't see a 1,000-yard receiver on this team. Who, who is the leading uh, receiver in yardage, in your opinion, Trace? Mm. Kobe Hudson. Elo? Baker. Interesting. All right. Okay. We disagree there. Either. You guys want to fight this one out or just move on to the next one? All right. <laughs> you you foreshadowed this. You mentioned this earlier, and, and we did not plan this, so this was foreshadowing. Great job out of you. UCF has not had somebody with double-digit sacks since 2016, which in Keem Griffin had 11 and a half. The closest they've had, Brendan Hayes, in 2019, had seven and a half. Does UCF get a player that has double-digit sacks this season? Trey Strelka. No. I'm going to say it tops out at nine. Just short. Nine? Who's getting, who's who? getting nine sacks? Josh Seleskar. Wow. Wow, that'd be good if Seleskar got nine. Uh I reluctantly have to agree. I don't think anybody gets 10 because it's kind of prove it to me type of deal. They got to prove it to me. They can get to that number. Shaquille Griffin was, I mean, that was an incredible year he had, but it's a great stat, Adam. It's one of the issues UCF's had defensively is 
can they get enough sacks? Part of the problem is with these dual threat quarterbacks, hard to get them down on a sack. So I'm going to say no. Last year's leader, Raymond Morris Brash, had six. We got time for one more. This is more of a record breaker. So you guys tell me in this one. So Dante Culpepper holds the record for rushing touchdowns in a UCF career for quarterbacks at 24. He also holds the record for rushing touchdowns in a season by a quarterback with 12. John Rice Plumley had 11 last year in his first and only season with UCF. Elo, does John Rice Plumley break those records more than 12 this year or more than 24 career? Does he break either of those or both of those this year? I will say no. He will not break either record. I think they will not run him as much. I think your running backs will get more touchdowns. I think he'll fall short but close. I'll say he'll finish around 2021 20, career touchdowns, 9-10 this year. Trace Trelko, does JRP break either career or season? I think he's capable of doing it, but it's going to frustrate me if he does because that means he's running a lot, and I don't want to see him running all over the place. So I'm going to say no. Uh, I think there are enough playmakers uh, at running back. I'm curious to see who emerges as the touchdown vulture at the goal line, though, uh, with Isaiah Bowser having moved on. I don't want to see uh, uh, John Rice Plumley put himself in any more harm's way than absolutely necessary. So I am falling short in both. Really disappointing you guys agreed on everything. I need to do a better job next time. I'll see you later. <laughs> Thank you, Adam. All right. Uh, women's soccer debuted uh, with a one nothing win at Purdue. Men's soccer opening at Clemson. Uh, the season's underway. Begs the question, Elo, who has a better chance to contend this year? UCF women's soccer in the Big 12 or men's soccer in the Sun Belt? Of course, Big 12 doesn't offer men's soccer. The easy answer you would think is women's soccer, right? They got Caroline Delisle. She returns. She's a great goalkeeper, two-time American goalkeeper of the year. They had won the conference last year. Men's soccer was under 500. It's easy to say. But I'm going to go men's soccer trades. I spoke to Scott Calabrese prior to this show, uh, and he really likes the depth of this roster, especially on the defensive side in the back. He thinks this is the deepest he's had in a couple of years. And that's going to be a key for them because I think they'll score goals with Luca Dorado. Munoz, the goalkeeper, is a year older. The Sun Belt, while it's a good league, not as strong, in my opinion, from top to bottom like the American was last year. Remember last year, the American was a 4-5 bid league in men's soccer. This year, I think there will be a 2-3 to three bid league in the Sun Belt, Kentucky at the top. I think with a deeper team, a little luck health-wise, I think men's soccer can actually finish near the top of the Sun Belt, whereas women's soccer in the Big 12, I think there's a lot of hurdles there they got to go through from a road standpoint at BYU to home games against Texas. Maybe too many hurdles. I'm going men's soccer. I think they're both going to have good seasons. I think the arguments you make are good. I, I think that women's soccer, though, the experience that they gained from their deep run in the NCAA tournament last year is going to help them this season. You mentioned having Caroline Delisle back. I, I think that's key for them. Uh, I think this is a, a team uh, with Tiffany Roberts Sadek that is always scheduled tough. So I don't think that the scheduling is a barrier. Remember, uh, they went out to Utah last year. What was it? Utah Valley State, uh, you know, to, to get in that rhythm of playing teams uh, further away. We'll see now what they do uh, with their second match of the season on the road to Georgia, UCF uh, top 25 team, Georgia as well. That's a good early season test uh, for the Knights. Uh, I'll go with the women just to be different. We agreed too much during the silly game, but I could make the case as you did uh, for men's soccer. I think, though, they're both poised in their first year in these respective leagues to have good seasons. 
I think the big question with women's soccer, who replaces Kristen Scott's production goal scoring wise, Diana Martin, probably somebody else. And then Daria Rajay in the midfield, she controlled tempo. Who will control that? I think UCF might miss her from that standpoint. We'll see how that goes. Should be a fun year. Both teams will start at home, by the way. The home openers on Sunday, double header. Speaking of missing, Trace, UCF women's volleyball. New era will begin this weekend on the road at Albany. Jenny Mowers taking over head coach for Todd Dagenet. A lot of new faces, half near half the roster, brand new for volleyball, Trace. The question, who will you miss more? Former head coach Todd Dagenet, who's now coaching in the Pro League, or the All-American great McKenna Melville? Miss personally or miss that UCF volleyball is going to miss? I think UCF volleyball is going to miss the All-American McKenna Melville. I think Jenny Mauro is more than capable of filling uh, in uh, and succeeding on her own merits uh, in place of Todd Dagenet, the longtime coach. She was a part of all of this success and the winning, involved in the recruiting of several key players, McKenna Melville, right, included in that. But she herself has said that at the media availability last week, you just don't replace a McKenna Melville. You're going to have to find different pieces. I think that's going to be something interesting to watch, how they uh, respond in a post-McKenna Melville era. I think long-term uh, have complete confidence in Jenny Maurer. Not that we're going to forget Todd Dagenet's long run at UCF, but I think she can succeed on her own merits and uh, finding that replacement uh, for McKenna Melville, whatever that looks like as the season evolves, I think that's key uh, for their success first year in the Big 12 and beyond. First of all, well, to miss someone, you mean you have to be away. Todd Dagenet was there at the scrimmage. You ran into him. You talked. He gave you a hug. He, you know, he missed you. Like, it was you know, kumbaya. So I don't know if you miss somebody if they're still around, but I'm with you. McKenna Melville is clearly the answer. It's the obvious answer. You don't. That's a generational player, the greatest player in the history of the program. Uh, you don't just replace that overnight. I think it's going to take a committee approach for them offensively to replace her production. Uh, Lauren Clark, for example, the transfer out of Penn State and Florida Gulf Coast, maybe some scoring from their veterans, Abby Hansen and Claudia Dillon in the middle blocks. Remember, they also don't have Amber Olson, who graduated at setter. That's like the quarterback positions are very young across the board. But McKenna, I will miss her. I mean, she was an order of Pegasus. I mean, she was all for UCF volleyball. I'm with you. I'm a believer in Jenny Maurer. I don't think the coaching will have a drop off. I do think it, it will take time to replace a player like McKenna Melville. You don't replace her. You just hope to find somebody else to fill those shoes. Agreed. All right, let's bring back in Adam to uh, educate us. Uh, what did we get right? What did we get wrong? Maybe some factoids along the way. What do you got, Adam? Yeah, some fun facts. You guys talked about Oklahoma having some close losses. We also forget they got shut out 49 nothing to Texas and 55-24 to TCU. So let's not cry for, uh, for Oklahoma anytime soon. Lee Hunter, I just want to point this out, a very large human being, 6'4", 320 pounds. You mentioned the soccer programs. The men's program finished to, uh, fourth in the preseason poll uh, for the Sunbelt Conference. Big 12 women's poll, UCF finished sixth. So men's a little higher there. And we just had a nice McKenna Melville conversation. For those wondering, she is now the head coach at Egan High School, replacing her mom. So her mom is left. And McKenna Melville, now the head coach at Egan High School up at her alma mater in Minneapolis. And Elo, I have heard that her mom, not replacing her mom, but mom's still part of the staff. So doesn't she right. report to her daughter, right? There's a reason why McKenna was a smart student. Her first hire was, hey, I want to hire this all, my mom to be the assistant, who was a seven-time state champion as a head coach. Good move. Start, good start there for on the staff. All right, Adam, thank you very much. Before we get to one more thing, Elo, a player or two from men's soccer, women's soccer, volleyball, you're most looking forward to seeing play this fall. 
Well, we mentioned Luca Dorado on the men's soccer side. I think he's a tremendous electrifying goal scorer. I talked to him today. His idol is Ronaldo at Brazil. I think he's going to end up playing at a high level. I think women's soccer, Caroline Delia, one of the great goalkeepers. Again, this great tradition that UCF women's soccer has. Those are a couple of names I think to follow. And I think uh, Happy Hansen on the volleyball side has to have a monster year at middle blocker for them to have success. I think that's th three names to watch. Uh, I'll give you three names real quick as well. Goalkeeper Juan V. Munoz. I think he had a pretty yeah. good first season. He's just a sophomore. Uh, and I think uh, Scott Calabrese likes knowing that he has him in that uh, good counterpart there for Caroline Delal, as you mentioned, with women's soccer. Strong uh, goalkeepers. Uh, we saw her score in the uh, first game of the year uh, for uh, women's soccer. Diana Martin, you mentioned who's going to replace Kristen Scott. I think it'd be interesting to see. Uh, just how much offensive production we get from Diana Martin. And put me down for uh, newcomer Lauren Clark on volleyball. Ooh. She was part of the uh, media interviews uh, from uh, preseason. Uh, she comes as a transfer from Florida Gulf Coast. Curious to see how she develops. She got some action during that uh, scrimmage over the weekend. So a couple of names to watch when you make it out to the uh, soccer field and uh, to the venue uh, to catch these teams uh, this fall. One more thing, Elo, before we leave. Uh, Bet MGM out uh, with its odds in the Big 12 says Texas favored to win the Big 12, Oklahoma second. Everybody wants that. I don't know. I'm not real big on that Oklahoma Texas championship game. UCF middle of the pack, uh, 3,500 to one odds of winning the Big 12. Houston dead last, 20,000 to one. Where are you at on this? Do you like this Texas Oklahoma uh, talk uh, in the Big 12? Do you want a team that's outgoing? Or as a UCF alum and fan, uh, do you do you want to root on your brethren that are going to be part of the Big 12 next season with Texas? Yeah, no, you don't root on Texas. And you're not going to root for Texas, Oklahoma. I think that's always the media hype. It's the two big brands. I don't see that happening. I, I'm more skeptical on Texas. They haven't won anything relevant in a long time. And Oklahoma has a lot of questions, to, in general, including the quarterback. Can that quarterback win some big games? We haven't seen that ever, Trace. Uh, so we'll see. I think if you're the Big 12, you're rooting for your people that are sticking around uh, to be in that Big 12 title game. I would bet against. In fact, if I would, if there was a bet against Texas and Oklahoma making it, I would make that bet. Uh, we'll save it for next week when we get into some predictions. We're going to go Ooh. game by game and, and, and put it all out on the line, uh, what we think that final record prediction will be. Whether, in fact, UCF Mike, I'll go with 6-6 six and six or maybe better. Certainly not worse, uh, right, Elo? And maybe we'll talk about that. Our predictions for the title game, because you seem to be betting against Texas and Oklahoma. So well, just we don't, don't just don't steal my my picks. All right, don't copy my picks. Hey. I know I'm smart. But since we started the show, we're not talking quite as frequently. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so we have a few more differences of opinion. All right. Look for new episodes of Around the Kingdom midweek every week. You can find them on the Sons of UCF YouTube channel. We drop them in the audio feed as well. I want to thank Adam Eaton from the Sons of UCF for helping us out uh, during this show. And uh, for Eric Lopez, I'm Trace Rolko. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's Around the Kingdom. Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. 
a great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.